Welcome to the Drop Time Report. Turn up the volume and listen to amazing stories about big bucks and the hunters who harvested them. Here is your host, outdoor writer, Tracy Breen. Welcome to the Drop Time Report. I'm your host, Tracy Breen. On this week's episode, we're going to have Doug Roberts. Doug Roberts is the owner of Conquest Sense. Uh, two of his products that are very well known are VS1 and Evercalm. Uh, those two deer scents have made Conquest Sense a household name uh, with deer hunters. Today, he's going to discuss mock scrapes, uh, how to build them properly, and how to pull in big bucks uh, into your mock scrapes. Uh, he's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to understanding deer and deer behavior, so it should be a great interview. Uh, before we get Doug on the phone, I'd like to thank my sponsors, our title sponsor, Redneck Blinds, Fourth Arrow Camera Arms, Windscent, Morale Targets, Grim Reaper, Illinois Connection Outfitters, Huntworth Clothing, Lucky Buck, Schaefer Performance Archery, Outdoorsman's, and Wilderness Athlete. If you're looking to shed a few pounds or if you're going on an elk hunt this fall, uh, make sure to check out Wilderness Athlete's website. If you find some products there you'd like, uh, type in Drop 10 at checkout and you'll get 10% off your order. Uh, some of my favorite Wilderness Athlete products are their Hydrate and Recover drinks uh, or their meal replacement shakes. Now let's go ahead and get Doug on the phone. Welcome to the show, Doug. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. I'm doing good. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. I would imagine this time of year things are pretty crazy at the deer farm, huh? Uh, we are a little crazy. We're running, uh, we're burning a candle at two ends. Let's put it that way, Tracy. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, at what point do you start collecting urine? And is that a year-round thing, or is there a certain time that you really start pushing? Yeah, Evercom, we can collect year-round because it's just, you know, it's a sense of smells from deer's bedding area. So we can do that all season long. You know, when you have rutting buck and BS1, uh, of course, then that's in the fall uh, and through the winter because that's when the bucks are in rut as long as they're shed out and, and, and is happening. You know, of course, the does, we synchronize in the heat. But, again, they don't come into heat year-round. So, again, that's a seasonal fall-winter uh, setup. So, uh, yeah, it gets a little crazy this time of year as we head closer into fall and hunting season. Now, what year did you start your business? We actually started 14 years ago with the scent company. Uh, the deer farm actually is in its 27th year. Um, so Okay. Uh, it's been quite a while. It's changed names a number of times. Uh, it used to be Border Cross and International, and then actually prior to that, it was Trophy Whitetails. Um, you know, just it's evolved uh, as, as the industry has evolved. Uh, we've had to change and adjust things. And uh, of course, then when the scent company came, it was actually uh, Border Crossing Labs, and everyone thought we were selling Labrador Retrievers, so we changed the Border Crossing. <laughs> Yeah, it was crazy. We got more calls for buying puppies than we did scent. Uh, so we knew that was <laughs> That's funny. Uh, then we went okay. to uh, border crossing scents, and that was fine. That actually worked out well until the immigration issue uh, on the Mexican border started. And uh, believe it or not, Bass Pro and Academy uh, asked us why we had our name the way it was. And we told them, they said, well, that makes sense, but we can't sell your product. We're like, well, why? He said, because that's a, that's a major issue in the South. And it never dawned on us, and it, and it made complete sense. And so uh, 
we then thought up the name or tried to think up a name, couldn't find one. And then we had named uh, a, a young buck, a yearling conquest. And Karen happened to say, we got to come up with a new name. He says, this is like becoming a conquest here. And we went, well, that's it. So hence conquest sense. And I'm not going to change it again. <laughs> Very cool. Very took cool. A, took a lot now, of money and a lot of energy. <laughs> sure. Sure. Now, over the years, obviously, you've probably perfected uh, scrape hunting yourself and uh, using urine and Evercalm and everything together to try to outwit a buck. And more and more people are trying to get into scrape hunting. So maybe uh, explain to listeners uh, some of your favorite tips or your favorite ways of hunting over scrapes. Yeah, you know, scrape hunting is a fun way, and you can control uh, what bucks do and where they go by setting up mock scrapes in, in set areas. But again, you can start them a lot earlier than most people think. So what I like to do is, of course, I, I normally have my favorite stand placements based on wind. Uh, and those always have travel corridors somewhere around them. So I look at those first and then I find a good area that I can shoot to. Um, upwind normally or a crosswind i prefer crosswinds myself and i'll make a mock scrape but people uh there's a number of components so let me go through the four components in my opinion um okay of a mock scrape one when you make the scrape you want to tear up the dirt and throw the dirt in all different directions in an actual scrape a buck will work it 360 degrees if at all possible and it will throw dirt in all directions um it, it becomes more noticeable that way uh and and it makes it a territorial scrape and it makes it a what i call a sex scrape it's one that does would use okay so that's the first step the second step is the licking branch you definitely want to have the licking branch over the top Okay, and you kind of want to rough that up like they would and have it hanging down because then it's easy. They they use the orbital eye glands and they're kind of working on it and it's not getting into or hurting their face. Of course, the third one is the footprint in the middle. Okay, um, that kind of tells the does or the bucks the direction that they've left and they've headed. Uh, and both both species, both sexes will leave the footprint in there. But if you're making a mock scrape okay. in a new area, most bucks don't see it because it's flat on the ground. So how do they notice it? Well, by rubs. So I always like to make mock rubs on some smaller trees, oh, four or five feet off the ground around my mock scrape. Because now from a distance, 100 yards away, 200 yards away, a buck in the area, especially a dominant buck, can pick those up. They can see that. They come in to investigate, and now they find a mock scrape. But the last thing I do is in the scrape, I put a rutting buck scent. On the licking branch, okay. I put Evercalm because it's just a deer scent. So a buck from a distance, any deer from a distance, can find that mock scrape two ways, by its nose because of the scent I put in it, or by sight because of the rubs I put around it. Okay. Now, when do you become active? Okay. Now, when do you start scrapes? I'll actually start scrapes the second week of September. That's when I like to do it because I want, I want to set the tone 
before the dominant buck in the area sets the tone where the scrapes are going to be. Um, now, if you have a very good scrape line that you know you can set your stands up on and you can hunt and the bucks travel that corridor, rather than making a mock scrape, refresh in their scrapes. In other words, become another buck. Become a competition to them. So every time they come in and work that scrape, you go back in, rework the scrape, put your sense in it, when, which means it's a different buck there. That buck is going to continually come back more often to check that scrape, which increases your chances of shooting him by hunting over that scrape. So you can either make new mock scrapes, which they'll take over and come to, or you can actually work their active scrapes by refreshing and recompeting that you're a new buck in the area. Okay. Two different ways. Now, I've heard a lot of stories over the years from hunters who say, you know, the, the scrape spooked the buck. I'll never hunt over scrapes again. Uh, what do you think some of the main reasons are why a scrape uh, spooks a buck? Uh, left too many scents, and it's a, not a, it's a non-dominant buck. Um, what you'll find is multiple bucks will normally use a scrape. But a non-dominant buck that is intimidated by a, a larger buck, an older buck, a bigger buck, uh, sometimes you just have bullies. Uh, we see that here on the farm. Um, other deer are scared of them. And if they've gone and you've used that scrape and they smell that, um, they can bolt out of there. They really can. Um, but normally those aren't the bucks that you want to harvest anyway because they're the smaller, more immature, you know, the yearlings and even some of the two-year-olds. Uh, you're looking for the three, four, and five-year-olds, hopefully, uh, that, that come into that scrape. They don't get intimidated unless you've damaged it with human scent in some form or another. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you do to make sure, uh, you know, you leave no human order behind? Do you have a regiment you go through? Well, ever call them on my boots when I walk in, so it's just a deer walking by. And I actually do. I try to use rubber gloves when I'm actually hunting. Now, uh, people will see me in videos where I just do an educational video and I've not worn rubber gloves. Um, and they go, well, I saw you. Well, that's an educational video. I'm not really hunting. I'm explaining and showing how to make a mock scrape, sure. fresh in a scrape. But when I'm hunting, I, I've always got gloves on. Um, you know, if it's super cold, I'll actually have, you know, warm gloves on, maybe not rubber gloves. But again, they're, they're as scent-free as I can get. Don't touch things in the area. Um, you know, the scrape maker tool that we're coming out with, and you and I talked about that uh, yep. earlier, that tool has every piece has the components to make all of those parts of the scrape without ever touching anything with, with a human hand. And that's what makes it very unique. You can make mock rubs. You can make the, the scrape. You can make the licking branch. Um, leave the footprint and never touch the soil or the trees and yet set the whole thing up and then just put your scent in it and walk away and, and it's activated. Uh, human, odorless, uh, not contaminated. So that's what's nice about the scrape maker that we're coming up with here in 2019. I've uh, Obviously, I've played around with that scrape maker. Uh, explain to the audience maybe the visual aspect of it with the with the hoof print and and what the other end what you can do with the other end. Yeah, what it is is in the middle of it there's a handle, and, and so on one end there's an oversized hoof print. In fact, the hoof print's about the size of an actual elk print. Uh, and what it does is it gives it a greater visual aspect, an intimidating aspect, 
again, you're creating a competition position out in the woods. That's what a scrape is. It's, it's competition. Uh, the other end of that scrape has got two long, two prongs, and the prongs actually dig the dirt up exactly like a buck's hoof print would. The two hooves on a, on a deer's hoof, you know, foot would dig it the same way, and it would leave those two prong marks. So those are the two that kind of set it. On the sides of the handle, you have a serrated edge, and that's what you kind of rub through the licking branch, and it breaks it and roughs it up like they would. And then the other side is a very sharp, smooth edge. And when you run that up and down the bark of a small sapling, it creates a rub exactly the way a buck's antlers would. And so the authenticity, okay. the authenticity of the whole area can all be created off the scrape maker, just one tool that you carry. Okay. Now, what do you say to biologists? I've interviewed a lot of biologists over the years, and one thing that seems to be consistent is none of them believe scrapes work for hunting. Um, no matter, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter who I've interviewed; they they all say the same thing. In fact, one biologist told me that they did research, and I'm sure you've probably seen it that new car smell in a scrape uh, attracts deer just as well as as anything else. Um, and they also say that most deer only come to scrapes at night. Uh, what what is your rebuttal to that? Well, it, okay, there's a number of there's a number of questions there. <laughs> um, yeah, let, yeah. Let me, let me let me work backwards on that. Um, bucks only come to scrapes at night. Absolutely false. Uh, they will come at all times of the day, all periods of the day. But with that being said. If there's high hunting pressure, a lot of human pressure in the area, you can make them go nocturnal. That's true. The other thing that will make them go nocturnal is temperature. The last few years, we've had really, really warm early falls and going into winter. Okay. They're in their winter coat. They've beefed up their body weight. So they overheat very quickly. So they're going to work more during the coolest time of the day, which happens to be in the middle of the night. So those two factors can make them work at night. But when their testosterone level goes up, they are checking those scrapes all of the time as they come through. Now, the only thing reason they wouldn't check them is if they're actually bedded with a doe and they're breeding that doe. And that can be a three to four day period where that buck will just disappear. And then he may need mm -hmm. a day or two to recuperate. They get tired, but then they're going to be right back to that scrape. Um, the, the problem is, is there's different types of scrapes. Okay. You have what we call a frustration scrape. And how do you identify a frustration scrape? It's where a buck's testosterone level is extremely high. They're walking around looking for does that are in heat and the does aren't ready to come in heat yet. You find this a lot in October. Okay. How do you identify that? Well, the frustration scrape normally will not have a licking branch. And if you look at it, it's, it's pawed all in one direction. It's not around okay. all directions. So he's standing in one place, kind of like what a horse would in paw at the ground and all the dirt is going exactly in one direction. No buck will ever come back to that scrape. It's a one-shot deal. The buck was there at that time. He released some frustration by pawing the ground. That's it. If you hunt over that, you're, you're going to waste your entire season. You're looking for scrapes, territorial scrapes and marking scrapes that are 
hoofed out, pawed out all different directions. I call it 360 degrees. Um, those are the ones that the bucks use and, and continually will check. And if you spend enough time at them, you will shoot the buck that you want over. Right. Okay. That's interesting. Um, now, now switch gears and, and, you know, deer sense are changing, uh, because of ATA and, and you're heavily involved in that because of chronic wasting disease. And that is obviously, you know, a big topic of discussion these days. Yep. Uh, why don't you talk, talk about chronic wasting disease and the effects it's having on the scent industry? Well, what's happened is chronic wasting disease is a, is a, is a, is a, Dangerous disease for all of us. I mean, it's, it's a disease in cervidae, which covers you know deer, elk, moose, uh, mule deer. Um, so it, it covers a number. And now we found that there's different strains of CWD. Uh, we found some in camels uh, in, in, in you know Asia. Uh, we've got the uh, caribou now that has a, a strain of it. Um, so as, as our research is getting better, we're finding more and more. Uh, CWD in different places and different animals. But let's look at Michigan as a whole. What's happening here? Well, we know now that it's definitely in the wild uh, deer herd, uh, which means it's in the environment. What we're finding is that in that environment, it's been there for a while, and the deer have been taking it up through uh, eating dirt, the plants, uh, and so on. We also know that predators and, and certain birds of prey can eat contaminated uh, a dead carcass and can actually ingest it, travel for miles, poop it out, and they now have infected that part of the environment. Uh, it stays okay. very active. Okay, so we've learned a lot. But from the scent point, what has happened is a couple of the researchers, leading researchers, Dr. Haley and Dr. Henderson, did a study, and the study was to show literally how CWD really wasn't going to be able to be spread through urine or feces, and yet everyone took it the other way, that it could be spread or potentially spread. Less than one hundredth of a percent chance that you can spread CWD through urine-based scents. Wow. Let me, let me put it a different way that most people, 33,000 gallons of urine would have to be put down in one place to equal one gram of infected brain matter. So, wow. But here's the problem. The, the DNR agencies are really frustrated because they don't know how to slow it down. They don't know how to stop it. But the public's asking them to do something. Well, the easiest thing for them to do is do what? Ban urine scents. Because everyone's happy. Mm -hmm. Well, at least they're doing something. Uh, Michigan was very good about it. They said, hey, there are some companies that aren't doing, you know, deer farms. They're, they're selling urine scents, but we're not getting any testing from them. So if we ban all real urines except the ones that are approved through the ATA Deer Protection Program, which we're a part of, and, and Karen and I have helped create the standards, um, then we stop those. We, we make that illegal to do. They can't do that. And yet the ones that are in the program, we know have done all the testing. They're in all the standards. They have closed herds. 
So we're living by a, a lot higher standards on our farm than other farms. And so it even raises the bar of protection for the DNR agencies. So anything you see in the stores will have a circle with an ATA check mark. Uh, anything that Jay's or Cabela's or Gander uh, Outdoors, Dunham's, they're all in the program. Um, and you'll find that okay. check mark on them. So, um, you know, 95% of all of the urine being sold is in the ATA deer protection program, but there are some farms that, that aren't. So they just wanted to protect themselves here in Michigan. Sure. Uh, so basically what's being eliminated is the guy who has a few deer in a fence and he sells uh, urine out of his back door. Exactly. That, that, is, that was their, their fear. If there was going to be a problem with any urines, it was going to come from that little farm that's done, done any testing. Uh, and it's, like you said, selling out the back door, selling at the little corner market uh, isn't, isn't a big company selling nationwide or even within a state. Uh, and so they've, they've outlawed that. You know, as you look at DeerSense, not a lot of uh, technology has taken place in the last decade. Uh, and then recently here in Michigan, uh, a company out of Grand Rapids uh, started manufacturing a unit called the WindScent, which actually um, vaporizes deer scent. So it's not pouring it on the ground. Um, maybe explain that because it, it looks like you're going to be partnering with them in 2019 as well. We are. We're, we're actually really excited about WindScent. Um you know, and for years, the scent industry know, knew and understood and have tried to figure out how to effectively and efficiently vaporize. In other words, take a liquid, heat it to a point that it turns into a mist, and it goes out into the air. We All of us know the faster molecules move, the further that scent will carry. Okay, so it is, that's normal science. That's high school science. We know that. No one's been able to come up with a unit of dispensing it until WinSent. And what it is is they actually take the urines and put them into a, a, I'll call it for the easy, an oil, where it can be heated and, like you said, vaporized out so it actually carries further out. And they created a unit uh, that actually can be worked by remote, They've come to us and asked us if we wanted to put it into the Conquest Sense Line. So we're coming up with a unit called Scentfire in 2019. And we're excited about it because it vaporizes it. It can be worked by remote from 40 yards away. It can dispense once every minute, once every three minutes. You can put it on standby or you can manually dispense it, you know, just as fast as you can push the button. Um, so you as a hunter now can control your scent going through the woods from your tree stand, why the deer are in your area, uh, and extremely cold temperatures. That's been the biggest factor problem is liquid scents freeze in cold weather. They fixed the problem. Uh, the scent fire and the wind scent units work very effectively in super cold temperatures. So if you, if you pour, uh, let's say we buy an ounce of urine from you, um, and it's in cold temperatures, I mean, how much should a guy pour out if he's trying to be conservative with it? Well, you know, we're more of a stick company, um, so we have the wax formula, uh, and we always say, you know, wipe two or three wipes out on a couple trees or something, and you have enough scent that will carry. 
But again, in cold temperatures, it takes more to evaporate it out and get it out into the air. Um, you know, you can overwhelm an area with real scent. So depending on the scent you use, um, like our Evercalm liquid scent is, is 100% pure. So it's concentrated. You'll overwhelm an area. You can actually take a deer's nose and they can get such a nose full of it. They just, they want to get out of the area because it's like, wow, that's not real. What in the world? There's, there's gotta be a thousand deer standing there, uh, stinking mm-hmm. the place up. Um, it's, so you do have to keep it where you might think it would be common sense normal for that deer. Um, the wax formula for ours, and I believe the wind scent, the way it vaporizes it, you can't over scent an area with those two forms. And that's what really makes them unique. You can't screw the area up, uh, even if you didn't know what you were doing. Okay. What are some, in closing, what are some of the biggest mistakes you think uh, hunters make that cost them deer when they're hunting over a scrape? One, contaminating it with human odor. Two, um, not not being patient. You got to remember, uh, I've, we've done studies, and, and I guess I'll even bring this up. We've done studies out in, out in the open, what we call free range, but we also have you know large ranches that we manage and, and we work with, so we can do it. Uh, people can say that's a controlled setting, but yeah, but these deer have been born in there. They're wild. You know, it's a thousand acres. Uh, the one I'm working with now, six hundred acres. Continue to take that's a huge area. A lot of those bucks are checking them in the middle of the day, not in the morning, not in the evening, just before dark. They're checking them in the middle of the night, and they're checking them in the middle of the day. Well, most of us have jobs, <laughs> so we're working. Yep. We're working during the middle of the day. Um, mm-hmm. uh, over scrapes, it's really odd. Uh, the other thing that I'll I'll play into this is, I do believe one hundred percent that the moon. Gravity, the pull, and you hear people now talking about moon phases, has a lot to do with when the bucks will check those scrapes if they're not with a doe. And so check check moon phases, moon, the moon guide. Um, uh, I think you probably have heard of that. I've looked at that the last couple of Oh, yeah. Years. The moon guide. Jeff Murray was a good friend. Yep. He, Jeff uh, Murray started that, yep. He nailed it. That moon guide, we have watched the deer on our farm, we've watched the deer on the ranch, and we've watched the wild deer behind the farm. And it has been extremely accurate for the last two years that I've been watching it. Um, so those those factors, not paying attention to those, um, I, I think are the, are the biggest problems hunters have. And then they give up on that spot because the deer aren't fitting their timeline. The problem is when you hunt, we have to fit the deer's timeline. Uh, I always tell people, deer don't wear watches, guys. They're in, yeah. they're at home all the time. They're in their environment. Um, they can go wherever they want. There has to be a reason that they want to go where you want them to go. You have to create that reason that they want to go there with scent, when, with sight, you know, those type of things. When do you feel, if I'm Joe Bucket, you know, hunter and I only have a week off or two weeks off and I want to hunt over a scrape, you know, in your history, when do you think that time is? When's the perfect time that I better crawl into my tree stand before daylight and stay all day to catch that afternoon buck? Oh my goodness. Um, I would, if I had two weeks to hunt, I would pick one of two choices. 
last week of October and first week of November or the first two weeks of November. Those would be, okay. those would be my choices first. My, my third choice would be late season. Uh, you know, a lot of people say is muzzleloader season. Um, late season when those bucks are still looking for does, but they're also looking for food, food sources. Um, they're still checking scrapes, but everything is, there's fewer. They get more aggressive later in season because they rebuilt themselves and they're still looking. So they can actually be more aggressive late season towards a scrape and sense than early season because they have everybody to choose from early season. So uh, I, I can't narrow it to one thing, but I can tell you sure. th- yeah. those two, those two, two week periods, or I would move those two weeks to late season if you can deal with the cold temperatures and if those big bucks are left, they're going to, they're going to come out late season. Now, do you personally hunt all day then? I mean, you climb in before daylight and you sit all day. I do because I don't have time to hunt. <laughs> so when, when I, when I get a chance to get out, uh, like last year, I never hunted one minute in Michigan. I, I just didn't have the time. Um, my only hunt was honestly down in Texas uh, with Mike Stroff. Um, and, okay. and that was, that was in December, uh, for four days. And we hunted all four days, uh, all day long. Um, the only, the only time I think we went in was actually to change batteries, uh, for the cameras. Uh, and that was just, we didn't bring enough with us. So, but yeah, I, what's the, go, go ahead. ahead. What's the biggest buck you've taken personally over a scrape? Uh, the biggest one over a scrape, I would have to say, is the one down in Texas, 175-inch um, uh, free-range buck I shot down there with Mike two years ago. Um, and when I say over a scrape, it was interesting. We had the uh, we were testing the heat seeker test kit that we were selling or going to sell, and there was a scrape. It wasn't 20 yards behind the blind, and and it registered as a hot doe with feet in it. And I said, where's the closest blind to this scrape? And he said, well, right over here. And I said, that's where I want to hunt. We shot that. We saw that deer literally at 1 o'clock in the afternoon come into the food plot looking for does that left. We literally saw where it bedded down and was just kind of waiting. And I told the camera guy, I said, I, I'm going to shoot that deer. I said, that's the deer I want. And he said, well, I just left. I said, the first doe that walks into this field, that buck's going to get up and walk right back in. And so was I hunting over the scrape? No. But the scrape literally right behind me is what he was checking and monitoring that area with. Sure. And and by looking and finding that scrape, checking that the doe was in heat and had peed there, that's what had that buck there. And I shot him at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Explain the heat seeker just because a lot of people probably have not heard of it. The heat seeker is there is a solution that that uh, another uh, young gentleman came up with that actually can detect estrus pheromones through the air. And so we created a test kit and in this test kit there's a little card with a with a test strip on it that you put the solution on and then if you can capture the air over a scrape if there's any estrus urine in the ground it will turn that uh, that test uh, strip red. We call it the ring of fire because it actually makes a, 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 a ring a, a red ring. But uh, it's amazing. 
Uh, the hard part is you have a lot of non-results until you get one. I, I think we had tested like nine scrapes before we hit that one, and all of a sudden it blew up red, and we were like, well, this is where we're hunting, right here. But literally, okay. we tested that at uh, 11 o'clock in the morning, got in the blind, probably at 11.30. At 1, we saw the buck. At 3, I'd killed the buck. That's pretty efficient hunting uh, by using the tools that we have available to us as hunters. Now, a lot of people would say, oh, but, you know, that's Texas. Um, so, so you know, where else in America have you had, you know, some really good luck? Have you, have you been able to find some good bucks here in Michigan um, um, using some of those tricks? You know, years ago when I was younger, yes. Uh, we actually have property over just west of Big Rapids. And, and for years, uh, in fact, actually, you can still go there where my blind sits. There's always two scrapes right out in front of it. And I would say probably two thirds of all the bucks I shot out of that blind were at those scrapes. One of those two scrapes. Um, and it was just it, one, it was a natural travel corridor, but two, those bucks knew that and they always checked because the does come through. And when they came into heat, they would pee there. So the bucks were always coming there. Um, so, yeah, I, I've shot some nice bucks over the years. Now, again, what I used to shoot as a clip, uh, you know, what I thought was nice then is a little different than what I think is nice now. <laughs> I think we all yeah, yeah. With, with size. <laughs> you know, back yeah. then, I, was, I wasn't raising 200-inch typical whitetails either. You know, so, um, you know, I, I thought that nice eight-point was a giant, and it was back then. I, I'm still very tickled, think, to Bill of harvesting them. But, uh, yeah, yeah. But scrapes cool. are fun to hunt over. They really are. But it does take time, and it takes the ability to know how to set them up and how to use them. Use the products that are available. Yeah. They work. Cool. Well, I appreciate your time today. I know it's uh, busy there in the farm this time of year. Uh, so thank you for taking the time out to talk to us. No problem, Tracy. You take care, and good luck this fall. Yeah, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm sure there's a few of you listeners out there that are going, man, I better uh, put a mock scrape out this fall. I'm sure if you listened today, you learned a thing or two about mock scrapes from Doug Roberts. He really knows his stuff when it comes to deer scents and mock scrapes. Deer season is right around the corner, uh, so make sure to get out there and get your stands hung. uh, Get your cameras ready to rock if you don't have them out already. I'm sure most of you do. And uh, until next time... If you don't mind, go to iTunes or Google Play and subscribe to the Drop Time Report. If you want to learn more about me, go to TracyBreen.com. Have a great day.